Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're very kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast once again. Hello, Jonathan. Good to be back, albeit it's a grey and cloudy day down here in Seaford on the south coast. It's, it, is, it is indeed. I think it's getting to that time of the year, isn't it, when things get, start to get a little bit chillier. Yep, indeed. Um, but, uh, you know, whilst things might be chilly outside, we, we are starting to heat up in, in the markets at the moment. Uh, Alan, we, 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 we've seen the, the Dow Jones uh, breached the 30,000 mark. That's, that's obviously a, a record high. Um, there's lots of factors at play there, of course. There, there's the vaccine news. Um, Joe Biden coming in and him starting to make his initial changes and, and laying out plans for for going forward. But we have discussed the US markets in some detail in recent podcasts. So I, I want to bring things back to the UK today, Alan, and look at the, the FTSE 100. Now, uh, as I've just mentioned, the Dow Jones has, has reached all-time highs, breaching the 30,000 mark. However, we're still languishing here in London on the, on the main um, index here in the FTSE 100, um, currently trading about 6,300, still some way off of its recent highs. Now, of course, we saw some tick up uh, during um, the, the, the sort of swirling news about the, the vaccine, um, but we haven't got anywhere near uh, the highs that we saw at the beginning of this year and, and indeed the record highs. Now, when we look at the FTSE 100, Alan, there, there's a high weighting towards commodities, yeah. and in particular oil. If you look at BP and Shell, they, they cut their dividends, so that's that's a big hit there for the index. But there's also an, another factor here at play um, with the inverse relationship to the pound. I mean, when we're sort of looking at the FTSE 100, I mean, do, do you think there is an opportunity for it to play catch-up with its US counterparts, or do you think that the um, the cloud of, of Brexit hanging over is just causing too much uncertainty uh, for, for investors, indeed in international investors, to start wading back into the FTSE 100 and, and some of their stocks there? That's a very good question, Jonathan. I, I think there are a number of factors for that, but um, I don't see uh, the FTSE is irreparably, irreparably damaged and that it won't catch up with its US counterpart at some point. I think um, what we're seeing at present, um, uh, it's a number of factors, really. I mean, firstly, firstly, of course, uh, this morning we've had the the warning from Rishi Sunak that uh, the economic emergency in the UK has only just begun. We're seeing, uh, you know, we are going to see the ramifications of of the uh, of the lockdown policy of the of um, the, the the huge swathe of job losses that um, are just only starting to happen across the across the entertainment and leisure industry. Um, Michelin Butler's, of course, the pub chain and restaurant chain revealed 1,300 uh, redundancies this morning. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So um, obviously that's weighing on the industry. And, and clearly investors are seeking uh, value in the FTSE 100 stocks at the moment. But um, 
Uh, are they going to invest in leisure stocks? Probably unlikely. I, th- I think uh, I think if they've had a run in the last few, few days, they'll probably be inclined to take profits and then just look to see how this plays out. But certainly on, on the, the resource front, we've seen a strong recovery uh, in oil stocks and resource stocks. And let's not forget, of course, that oil uh, on the oil, the oil stocks, BP and Shell have promised that, well, that, that they are uh, moving or shifting their core businesses away from oil into renewables. And I think both have said that by, you know, by 2030, probably getting on for half of the revenues that they generate will be from renewables. So they're very much moving with the times. But of course, they've had to trim their dividends in the interim, um, which has made them less attractive as investment stocks. But um, I think if there's any move to restate the dividends to former levels, then that will see a huge boost in the index. Um, so, so I mentioned the job losses. I mentioned Rishi, and of course Joe Biden has. Um, we've also got the spectre of Brexit in the background too. Um, Joe Biden sort of uh, uh, straight on to Boris about uh, the Northern Ireland border. So, so clearly, you know, his policies will start to weigh on the index as we go forward. But, um, but I, I think we've got a cocktail of of negativity at the moment, which is which is keeping the index cap. But um, uh, I think I think value will out eventually. And um, as I've said in previous podcasts, certainly the um, the stocks that are going to drive the recovery, such as the resource stocks, uh, the mining stocks, and uh, you know of of whom a, a significant chunk of the FTSE is made up, those stocks are going to be supplying China, and will start to will will probably offset uh, to some degree any negativity we see from the the leisure sector. So, when we're looking at the FTSE one hundred and and the pound. Uh, Alan, that there's been ever since Brexit a very strong inverse relationship. Now, looking at uh, sterling against a dollar, currently trading at one thirty three sixty four. Now that's towards and and almost the highest levels yeah. for this year. Now that that's probably kept uh, a cap on the FTSE one hundred due to the to the the weighting of dollar earners within mm. the index. A, a huge amount of earnings for the FTSE one hundred. Uh, I mean, the, the lion's share of earnings comes from from overseas. What do you feel the, the risk is for for disappointment um, for for investors if we do see a a Brexit deal and an outcome which is leading towards um, the more positive side of things as opposed to a a harder Brexit that we see a pop higher in the pound, but that actually caps gains and could even see the FTSE 100 fall um, and we don't see that sentiment follow through in, in stocks. Do you think that's, that's a major risk or do you feel that if we get a Brexit deal um, that does remove uh, the economic uncertainty to such an extent that this um, inverse relationship with the pound will take a back seat to overseas investors coming into to UK equities and pushing it higher. Yeah, I I think that's that inverse relationship is key, and it's it's a it's a it's a finely balanced um, it's a finely balanced uh, issue. But um, of course, if the if we do get um, uh, a Brexit, you know, a, a good deal Brexit um, in inverted commas, then of course the pound will pop higher. But um, how much that will impact on the FTSE, um, particularly. Once we start to see, um, you know, the huge global economies like China recovering, we're already seeing, you know, the appetite for 
raw materials um, starting to grow again um, as China uh, continues its relentless growth drive. So, um, so I think uh, I think there will be some jiggery pokery for sure. But um, but overall, my expectation is that the demand in resource stocks will offset. Um, the strength in the pound. So we'll probably see an equilibrium uh, somewhere along the way. Um, but overall, if, if the once we see um, some signs of recovery in the UK economy um, at various levels and we start to see uh, pubs reopen um, and spending patterns starting to return to some, some semblance of normality, then I think I think there will be a minor relief rally on the back of that. So I think I think we're I think where we trade now that the FTSE still offers good value. Um, it's not going to push back to over seven thousand for for some time to come. But certainly certainly I I don't see we'll probably get a few dips from this point. But I don't see too much risk to the downside um, in the near time. But clearly how the the job situation and uh, the um, the economic emergency, as Rishi Sunak has um, um, uh, highlighted today. Once we see that um, start to play out, then we'll get a better idea. Yes, of course, and this all comes back to the, the medical uh, advancements as well. Uh, everything, uh, in, in my view, hinges on this vaccine and, and the rollout of, of the vaccine uh, and, and how uh, how that impacts the the economy. So, uh, an interesting subject, and one that we will come back to on the podcast. Uh, as as things develop there. But Alan, we've got three very interesting stocks that we're going to discuss today, um, quite diverse in, in what they do. So let's start off with, with one. Um, now, th- this is a company that we um, welcomed to the UK Investor Magazine virtual conference back in October. Um, it's quite a diverse company in its portfolio. And what I do like about this firm is it's got a strong backing from its CEO. He's been regularly um, investing his own capital in, into the company. I saw an announcement yesterday that he just made a further purchase, I believe, in, in his SIP. Yeah. Um, and that's Power Metal Resources, Paul Johnson, uh, CEO there, um, that has been um, putting his own funds in there. But what's the latest operational update uh, there, Alan, and what's happening on the ground? Well, the one thing you can never accuse Power Metal of is not keeping its shareholders up to date. I mean, this is a company that um, I've seen a lot of companies uh, uh, communicate in different ways. And this is the best communicator. Paul Johnson and Power Metal Resources um, communicate better with the the markets and shareholders, arguably, than any other company in its sector. Um, And as you rightly say, uh, Paul Johnson and his wife, Michelle, have back to the company throughout. Um, and Paul's latest share purchase, which was just under 18,000 in his set yesterday, takes his own personal state, uh, well, he, he and his wife's state, to um, over £300,000. Um, so, you know, he has well and truly got skin in the game. But this is a, a multi-asset global mining exploration and development company. Um, and um, I'm, I, I could... If I started to talk in detail about all of the projects, we'd be here forever. So I'm going to basically go through and um, and briefly summarise each one. Uh, firstly, in Australia, uh, we've all heard about Victoria Gold. In fact, there's uh, another company that we've spoken about, ECR Minerals, are progressing a number of gold projects in the Victoria area. Um, 
Power Metal has a joint venture with Red Rock Red Rock Resources, Red Rock Australasia, which is a it's a 50-50 joint venture. They have um, uh, 11 license applications over 2,200 square meters uh, in the uh, in the Victoria area, focused very much around Ballarat as well. Um, and um, they're, they're in the process of developing those licenses and getting the necessary permissions to go out and start drilling. And of course, in that region, we've got the Fosterville Gold Mine, which um, Craig Brown, the CEO of ECR Minerals, said is basically printing money. They they have low production costs and they're they're basically producing about half a million ounces of gold a year. So um, that's uh, that, that's the Fosterville Mine. There's the Ballarat Mine, which is uh, close to uh, uh, ECR's own projects, uh, one of ECR's projects, and also the Power Metal Resource License areas. So again, huge potential to come from there. We've then uh, they then have a, a, a number of projects in. Uh, Botswana. They have um, uh, the, there's the uh, uh, an organisation called Kalahari Key Mineral Exploration um, owns the Malopo Farmers Project, uh, which is a huge nickel, copper, platinum, and gold project, uh, platinum metal group project um, in, in in Botswana. And uh, we've seen drilling updates. Um, the, the company's progressed a drilling campaign in that region, and we're starting to get um, we're starting to get uh, news back from from the drilling and and the developments in that area now um we also have a joint venture with katoro gold um in the the haneti nickel project in tanzania um and just on box the molopo farms and tanzanian project i mean these are these are vast territories huge areas um uh, that uh, that contain um that uh, have geological formations underground that if they yield the uh, if they yield the uh, the minerals in in commercial uh, quantities which um, all of the indications are to date that they will um, any one of these projects by itself could dwarf the current power metals resources market cap at 16 million um, and I'm only just getting started on the number of projects, so you get some idea of where we're going. So I mentioned Tanzania, the Haneti Nickel Project. Then we go to the USA. We have the Alamo Gold Project, um, where there are a, a number of options on the territory formerly uh, owned, owned by the Frisco Gold, Gold Corporation. And again, sampling and, uh, and work is underway there. We then heard more recently about the Canada Silver Project, um, the Silver Peak Project. There was an update yesterday. They'd been... They've been uh, 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 taking taking the uh, drilling rig to the the uh, the uh, target uh, drill points, um, and uh, bad weather had hampered um, basically getting the drill to the site. So they sent some engineers there with with smaller, more portable rigs, and um, uh, indeed work is underway. But in the sampling, they uncovered what they refer to as bonanza grade uh, bonanza grade uh, uh, silver. Um, and uh, of course, this is well. I say it's, it doesn't come as a great surprise. Um, the Silver Peak project is based at the uh, Eureka Victoria Silver Mine, which, um, uh, from from those uh, uh, with a with an interest, interest in history, it was the first crown granted mineral property in British Columbia years and years ago. So it's it's uh, fertile and ripe for further exploration. Uh, obviously, using the modern mining and and data gathering. Uh, 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 techniques so so we have this raft of projects that are underway and um the company is very well funded it's raised a lot of money but it's also 
raised um, many hundreds of thousands of pounds through warrant exercises. Warrants were issued earlier in the life of the company. And if you look at the uh, the share price performance to date, I mean, shares were trading back in April at 0.23p. They've hit um, highs of 2.6p, currently trading at just under 2p at 1.9p. So um, the, that gives Power Metals, with all the warrants um, and the shares in distribution, uh, a 16 million market cap. And as I say, any one of these projects come to fruition, comes to fruition, that project alone will dwarf the current market cap. And I think that's the exciting thing about Power Metal. And that's also why uh, Paul Johnson and also the, uh, the chairman, Andrew Bell, are buying up shares at every opportunity they can. So, um, yeah, if you're looking to invest in a small cap mining company with exposure to a large number of diverse commodity projects around the world, I don't think there's any better company right now than Power Metal. Indeed. So one important distinction, because we went in from FTSE 100 companies in, into Power Metal, George. This, this is a very different company, yeah. um, higher risk, higher reward potential there, 16 million um, cap there. Uh, and when you're looking at a company like this, in particular Power Metal Resources, what's going to be driving shareholder returns going forward? I mean, do you think this is a company um, that's going to grow and, and develop its projects within itself and then look in the future to pay significant dividends um, for, for anybody that's getting in at this, at this point? Or is this a company that's going to be looking primarily at share price appreciation um, and uh, developing those assets, potentially going into joint ventures or selling some of those assets and then distributing the cash to to, to investors. Which which way do you think this company is going to be going? Yeah, very much the latter, Jonathan. I mean, you know, Power Metal is all about developing projects and and the value will drive the share price, you know, much higher from where we are now. As I've indicated, you know, any one of these projects could uh, come to fruition, could dwarf the current market cap. And it, But indeed, uh, in, in regard to joint ventures, of course, we have the Red Rock uh, Australasia joint venture. Um, and there is talk already that, that could be spun out as a separate company. So, of course, if that does happen, then existing shareholders in the company uh, will no doubt um, have a stake in that entity as well. So the value can manifest itself in many ways. So if, for instance, there are other joint ventures or, or each of these projects becomes a separate joint venture that's spun out, then, of course, if you're a shareholder in Power Metal at that juncture, um, you will you will then own a stake in that new venture in the new market. Um, and, and certainly Paul Johnson, the CEO, he is very... His primary focus is uh, is keeping the the army of retail shareholders happy and up to date with information. And I mean, we're talking in terms of the number of announcements they put out. Some companies put out one announcement every two to three weeks. I mean, with Power Metal recently, it's been two or three announcements every day. So it's just a constant flow of information. And not only that, Paul is also uh, appearing on. Uh, the, the company's own uh, podcast, webcasts, um, interviews, uh, so so he can articulate that because often in a, an announcement you can you know the announcement format can be quite staid, so he can better articulate the the findings and the the information that's underlying the actual uh, 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 news development on on that day. So yeah, um, Power Metal it's a, a, a hold for capital gains. And I dare say, you know, some years down the road, they could become, you know, I mean, Rio Tinto and all the other uh, 
uh, FTSE 100 blue chip miners started somewhere. So who knows? You know, maybe in 10, 15 years time, power metal could be one of the established mining uh, uh, mining production groups with projects around the world worth worth billions of uh, pounds and paying a chunky dividend. So yeah, there's everything to play for. Yeah, a very a very bright future there for, for power metals, and, and one I'm sure that we'll be covering again on the uh, on the podcast. So, mo- moving on now, Alan, we've got one and a particularly interesting company. I think mainly because the, the sector that it's operating in. Of course, at the moment we're seeing a big push towards uh, sustainability. A lot of the focus at the moment is on fuel and energy. Um, electric cars, that's where uh, you know media and, and investor focus is on. But uh, the company that we've got here is Itaconics. However, they're going to be looking and, and are looking indeed at um, everyday products and sustainability there. What's um, what's their main operations, Adam, and what's the recent updates from them? Okay, so Itaconics, um, ITX, uh, currently got a market cap of 8 million. Shares currently trading at one8 P, uh, been as high as 2.7 and as low uh, as 0.26. Of course, that was back in March when everything fell off a cliff. But um, Itaconics produce uh, uh, sustainable bio-based environmentally friendly products derived from Itaconic acid, uh, bio-based polymers. And these, um, the polymers, of course, are used in multiple applications across uh, for use in laundry, water softening, detergents, agriculture, industry, um, and uh, they've, the company have worked and developed um, joint ventures. Croda, for instance, the, uh, the FTSE 100 company, that, um, that they, have, uh, they have a joint venture ongoing with Croda, and um, they have also developed a, 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 a series of, um, of biodegradable plastic products uh, using, using the chemistry behind the, behind, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the Articonic acid. Um, it's been a. I, I think if you speak to some investors who got into Articonics a few years ago, there they they would say there have probably been a, a series of false storms. But I think, uh, as with any company like this, uh, everything has to be in place for things to start moving forward. Um, and uh, there's the the company announced in December last year a license agreement with New Wave to uh, to uh, to provide a new auto dishwasher sachet into the North America market. And certainly uh, this was a key step forward along with the, um, uh, along with the uh, biodegradable uh, um, uh, plastic uh, collaboration with BioAsterix uh, back in March. Um, the company uh, then back in March this year, and that was part of the reason for the share price fall, warned on its funding position and um, but said that uh, it would defer salary and would, was receiving COVID relief and then in June, it raised uh, just under two million in a placing at one point one p. And at that stage, the company reported strong momentum in its revenues, um, and uh, and uh, was seeing you know a, a, had seen a huge improvement in its net cash position, obviously from from the fundraising, and then announced a very a very good set of full year results in December uh, for the full year. But then upgrade, uh, and further from that, at the end of October, so a few weeks back, the company upgraded uh, or announced its um, half-year results to June, so taking into account the COVID period, reported an 80% increase in revenues to $1.1 million, 
um, 130% increase in gross profits um, and margin improved to 37% from 35%. Um, uh, and the also a reduction in uh, EBITDA loss to $0.6 million, so $600,000 from $1.2 million previously. Um, the company has also received, uh, uh, um, to, to cover its US operations, a US government paycheck protection loan of $200,000. Um, and obviously, with the fundraising as well, um, the chief executive, John Shaw, said at that, at that point, the company had really entered a new phase in commercial growth from, from 2020. Um, and we're seeing strong momentum in this business. And clearly, I, I think the acid test, uh, excuse the pun, the, the, the test is going to be really uh, in the trade, the, the next trading update that comes for the second half of 2020. And if there's evidence that that uh, growth is continuing, then um, then clearly, I think uh, I think we're going to see a re-rating in the company. The, uh, also, a couple of weeks ago, the company appointed uh, a new vice president of marketing and sales. Formerly worked for Peter Kramer, uh, Salvation and Abitech uh, in the US, a lady called Morna Manning. So, um, so that's an encouraging sign. They've got a new VP in charge of sales, and um, I think in the in the uh, forthcoming trading update, which we'll have uh, maybe the side of Christmas, uh, maybe just after Christmas, um, that's going that we should see some decent progress. But but uh, certainly, you know, um, a company that um, I think has passed its crisis point and is now. Starting to uh, starting to generate revenues and could be could could offer great potential for the future. Indeed, indeed. I mean, just just looking at the share price here, it could offer um, some value as well, having quite a significant drop from highs that we've seen within the last two years. And certainly, those revenue figures do show that they are gaining traction. And with uh, quite a substantial market to target, very interesting to see and something that I'd look forward to seeing how they progress through the second half of this year into to next year. I'm sure the one that we will touch on again, Alan. So hmm. the, to finish off now, this is one that we have discussed uh, a couple of times on the podcast for good reason. It's had a very, very strong 2020 venture life uh, I know it's one that we have looked into some detail. Operates in a, in a similar market to some extent uh, as Isoconics, albeit at a different stage of the supply chain. But what's uh, what's been the recent updates from them? Uh, yeah, okay, Jonathan. So Venture Life Group VLG, of course, are um, that they refer to themselves as a self care group and um, international consumer healthcare, and of course, this is in oral care. Skincare, pain relief, um, uh, 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 cosmetic treatment, uh, a whole raft of products. And the company, it, it's, um, it's got a, a really diverse uh, range of products and uh, uh, products that it sells directly and products that it sells through agencies. So that diversity really gives it um, uh, uh, resilience in regard to its cash flow and also its growth potential too. So... Um, it has offices in the UK uh, and in the Netherlands. Um, the Netherlands offices are basically the offices of PharmaSource, which uh, is uh, is is a, is a, a, a pharmaceutical uh, product distribution company uh, that also has a a a, a, a a a nail care product that is distributed um, through Lloyd's Pharmacy here in the UK. Um, 
the company also, Venture Life also has a manufacturing center in Milan in Italy. Um, and of course, this uh, this is was smack bang at the heart of the COVID crisis in Italy. But um, in all of its uh, reporting and updating to the markets during the year, um, it's, uh, it, it has become patently obvious that uh, manufacturing and distribution has been totally unaffected by the COVID crisis, which is really some some achievement, you know, given given the uh, given the impact that uh, COVID has had on everything else. So um, the company announced uh, a really strong set of interims in September, and indeed, I interviewed uh, I recently well I, I interviewed last week uh, Sharon Collins, the Group Chief Commercial Officer. You can see that uh, interview, of course, um, on our YouTube channel on the Brand UK website. Um, uh, and uh, I interviewed Jerry Randall, the CEO, before that. Um, revenue growth of 80%, um, 65% organic uh, to just under 17 million. 53% of those sales came from Venture Life's own brands. Um, gross profit up 97% to just under 7 million. And adjusted EBITDA up 368% to 3.5 million. Um, so again, a very strong financial performance. Um, and what's interesting is that the company have built a cash pile um, and reported cash of 6.6 million um, after the Pharmasource acquisition. So it basically purchased Pharmasource out of its cash pile and has got uh, cash left over. Um, a number of commercial milestones during the year, a distribution agreement in China that's worth 168 million euros to the company over 15 years. So that's a, a huge boost to the company. Um, strong second half order growth. Um, Ultradex is the UK market leader um, for halitosis mouthwash. Um, they have a joint venture with um, Alliance Pharma for the Kellicoat uh, nail brand. Um, they dis distributed over a million Disimplus hand sanitizer products to Asda. Um, and also um, Dental, their own mouthwash, um, uh, was launched by Boots. Uh, it was launched, launched by Boots. But Dental has also made a name in its own right. Um, in, um, early, in the summer, the company announced it was undertaking an in vitro trial. And in vitro, of course, means lab, uh, in, lab uh, uh, in a lab environment with Cardiff University to, to see the, uh, what efficacy CPC-based mouthwash um, had on SARS-CoV-2 or, or the COVID virus. And um, they announced at the beginning of last week that uh, the mouthwash trial had shown that the virus is completely eradicated within 30 seconds of putting the mouthwash in. Mouthwash in. So that was, of course, picked up by the media. I spoke to Sharon Collins about that last week, and um, we saw the subsequent uh, uh, um, rise in the share price and the, and, and the drive further. Full trial results from that trial are going to be published early next year, and that's, of course, a human clinical study. Um, then, of course, uh, um, the, uh, at the end of last week, the company announced um, a placing to raise 34 million. Now, going back to the farm source acquisition, of course, the company has, is, has made acquisitions to date from its own cash pile. But given this acceleration in revenue growth, um, it raised 34 million at 90p, and there was also a 2 million pound open offer, um, targeting three acquisitions known as Project Vulcan. Target A and Target B, which are in oncology support, oral care, and dermat dermatology. So, of course, given this acceleration in growth, the um, 
Venture Life Group have, have identified a number of earnings accretive potential acquisitions uh, to accelerate uh, the growth in the group. And I think this is the this is the company's strength. You know, it has it's um, it's highly cash generative. You know, it's got in a very strong cash position without any debt, and um, it's able to accelerate its growth uh, at a at a dramatic rate of knots. So um, the money was raised at ninety p, so slightly off the uh, the uh, I think the the shares hit uh, a high of one pound eighteen last week. Um, but nonetheless, the shares are now trading above that at ninety five p, um, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear news on these these acquisitions uh, in in the very near future. Um, so it, it's a really strong investment proposition. There's some something of a of a niche pro- proposition, nonetheless. But um, but but again, I think uh, I think given the the uh, spread of risk, given the diversity of the group as well, I think this is offers great growth potential for the future. Yes, in, indeed. I mean, the, the figures here. If you if you're looking, you know, very crudely, if you analyse the recent. Uh, adjusted EBITDA figures that they're, they're, they're trading at at roughly eleven times uh, EBITDA for for the year, which which is you know quite a, quite an attractive valuation, even given the recent rally that they've had. But Adam, and when you're sort of looking at this company, you, of course you you've been speaking to the uh, senior management there. Yes. It had a very strong first half to the year given COVID, and and you know of course they've been. Uh, working on on the rollout of, of more projects, I mean the the eighty percent revenue that we we saw in I mean, increase in revenue for the first half. I mean, do do you think that's something that can be replicated or even built in in the second half and and sort of following through to the first half of twenty twenty one? I mean, with the rollout of of new products and, and going into new markets. I mean, is this something that could be sustainable? Uh, in terms of that growth rate in in revenue, have they got that sort of the trajectory in growth uh, outlined? Absolutely, I, I see no reason why this growth uh, won't well a won't continue and b won't accelerate. Considering that they achieved this in possibly the most difficult trading year uh, in in recent history, um, I uh, I think the and I think it's the diversity of the product offering, and also the the distribution channels they have, uh, you know, through the major supermarkets, ASDA, Boots, Superdrug, um, and so on, and also the the uh, the uh, pharmaceutical and uh, drug chains uh, across Europe. Um, they've just got an abs- They've they've got a diverse revenue stream, and they see the the potential to to grow the business in making earnings accretive acquisitions and uh, you know the, these are a lot of companies in this area do make very good money indeed because once you've got a product that uh, works in a particular niche you've got steady sales there steady sales growth but often the the growth process or, or the growth opportunities come as a result of le- leveraging up with um, integrating into a company that's, that's that's larger, that's got bigger distribution channels, and so on. So there's a compelling logic behind their strategy here, and I think uh, Jerry Randall and his team have done a very good job in bringing the company thus far. But yeah, I I, I see. I I can't. I, I don't believe that uh, revenues will slow at any time. Of course, you know, I um, that isn't to say some some areas of the business won't work, but I think it's they've got such a diverse spread of offering that. Um, if if uh, if one part of the business doesn't work as well as hope, then 
uh, that slack could be taken up by um, by a, another area. So yeah, a, a really strong growth proposition, I think, for 2021. Of course, I mean, I think diversity of their products is is key, and also the rollout of uh, of a number of uh, new markets and, and obviously expansion there. It's going to make this a very interesting stock to watch in in 2021, and one I'm sure that we will be looking at again um, after their next set of uh, results. So that was uh, Venture Life Group that we discussed there, trading under the ticker of VLG. Um, previously, we discussed Power Metal Resources, um, trading under the ticker of POW. And Itaconics trading on the ticker of ITX. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, Jonathan. So just as uh, a, a little announcement, we have recently just launched a new version of the UK Investor Magazine website. So do check that out. Um, there is a new podcast section in there in addition to a new revamped video section. So you can go back and have a look at some of the company presentations and interviews we've done over the last six months. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.